within a year we were uh, we appeared in a scientific magazine as one of the global databases which exists so we were very happy and proud honestly to awesome. put india india on the map of the global database and uh, yeah we are the first from india mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so far we are the largest to i mean uh, materials database in the world and this year in february the second mm-hmm. version version 2 of uh, anant was released with more data so we have added another class of tooling material which is octahedral oxide and mm-hmm. hydroxide and also we release some topological topological data of maxine welcome everyone i'm your host vishal kataria from algor captain and today we're continuing our series on computation and ai where we're trying to understand advances in this brave new world and its applications across various fields welcome to techsprouts where we explore deep science based technologies and investments that hold the promise of changing the world I am delighted to welcome Dr. Abhishek Singh to our show. Dr. Singh is a professor at the Materials Research Center at the Indian Institute of Science Bangalore. He did his PhD from Tohoku University in Sendai, Japan and followed that up with postdoctoral stints in Japan and the US. He then joined IISC as a faculty member and has executed a wide-ranging research program in diverse fields including machine learning, 2D materials and thermoelectrics, just to name a few. This group has also established India's first and the world's largest 2D computational materials database called Anand. It consists of electronic and structural properties of over 25,000 mixines which are a very interesting type of composite material. This database is by no means complete it's something that's undergoing constant revisions and upgradations. Professor Singh is also a co-founder of the startup Sident AI which is currently incubated in IISC at the Society for Institution for Innovation and Development. We'll hear a lot more about all of these things in a lot more detail in the next half an hour or so. So Dr. Singh, welcome to the Techsprouts podcast. We are so happy to have you here. Thank you very much Vishal. It's an honor to be on this podcast. Be happy to answer your questions. Great. So my first question to you is on the trajectory that research in material science has taken over the years both your research as well as you know the broader community worldwide since you're plugged into that how have you seen the uptake and integration of computation based approaches and machine learning slash ai over the years you started you graduated from your phd in 2004 up to now so how have things moved and you know maybe to add a bit of nuance what was the reason for the introduction of computational techniques and what were the initial bottlenecks to to create and start deploying such models you promised me one question you asked me now you have to listen to me okay <laughs> so rather than starting from my phd i will take you a little bit a couple of centuries back in the history so you know in academia we are in the process of synthesizing the knowledge and there are four major paradigm shifts which are occurring so the very first mm-hmm. one before 1600 was the science was mostly empirical so people would do experiments they collect the data find out you know certain patterns and work work with, work with those patterns to predict or get a new thing out the second paradigm was uh, when all the 
theories were developed that the physical laws were mathematically uh, mathematically formulated essentially and that was when you know mechanics thermodynamics uh, optics all the branches of physics emerged and uh, including electrostatics electrodynamics and very soon in that time that also led to a lot of discoveries even new way of doing a new kind of a completely new science also emerged through quantum mechanics right which was 1920 then what happened very soon people realized once they started working on these equations that it's no longer possible to solve them analytically so initial approach was to solve these equations analytically because at that time there were no computers or the computers which were there were much much less powerful than what we have yeah. So that was the paradigm number two. Then, with the advent of computers, it became very much possible to solve these equations numerically and start making predictions, which can be even validated experimentally. Mm-hmm. And that led to third paradigm, where a lot of computational research took place. And I belong to the almost, you know, I overlapped that paradigm. I would not say it has, it's gone, it's still going on. Mm-hmm. And around 2010, a little bit earlier, a fourth paradigm emerged, which is data driven. Now, okay. since this, uh, the third paradigm, which is mostly computational, and even the experiments which are being done, they, are, uh, they, are, they generate enormous amount of data. Mm-hmm. And not everything, all the data which we generate, we use, use it. So, suppose you carry out a calculation which may generate huge amount of data, but, but what you end up saving uh, is, you know, probably the energies or structure or some maybe some properties and that's all for which yes. you have run. But you 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 leave it or you, know, you discard it or restore it in some form or somewhere which remains unutilized. Same goes with the experiments also. All the sophisticated modern experimental techniques where you know the, uh, the by the time we actually see the probe or, or by the time we actually do our measurements, already a lot of computation goes through, even though it's an experimental technique. And then those data also are not really used because you, if you want, you can save it or get the start, discarded. So there was a need on how to use this data. And this data generation is happening exponentially as we speak. Everywhere globally, people are running calculation, doing sophisticated mm-hmm. experiments, and but not everything being getting saved. So one, mm-hmm. if you look at the in terms of the plots, so you have all steepest rises in the generation of the data. Okay. Now, what we save from that data, it has slightly not slight. I mean, it's, it's far behind from the part of the data generation even further slower processes any kind of a knowledge gain from that so you have this data what did we learn from that mm-hmm. more slowest the slowest one is utility creator right now you've got the knowledge for example where can you use it that is the slowest uh, growth uh, i mean the trajectory growth of that trajectory is slowest now so we need to fill this gap mm-hmm. cover this entire, you know, 
this this full i mean the def- the data which is getting generated with a huge i mean very very fast versus mm-hmm. the utility which we are getting and so that requires newer techniques newer methods uh, from machine learning perspective or through data science and to get the utility generated from this data so that is the journey now coming back to my phd part uh-huh. so i started in 2001 so i'm a computational geo scientist mm-hmm. i have, i'm fortunate to work with uh, every length and time scale because computational tools are used different computational tools are used for different length and time scale so starting from the electrons which is subatomic particle that is electronic structure calculation going all the way yeah. to the continuum mechanics like thermodynamics continuum theories including thermodynamics so that's where i started so like i told you i was in the third paradigm computational yeah. work we carried out and this trajectory continued till uh, you know 2011 there was an initiative from white house then president barack obama is started what is known as a materials genome initiative and the idea was to uh, uh discovery of a material or let's say even from the whiteboard to a product which usually mm-hmm. takes nearly two to three digits it can be accelerated this process using right. data science mm-hmm. so that uh, that initiative was a billion dollar initiative it picked up everywhere you were here then of course immediately it was followed in Europe in Japan all the developed machines in Green Cup they had they started their program in that direction somehow in India there was not much done and uh, so till 2015 end of 2016 there was literally not much was done in india so that is the point when i thought okay we should do something from here also right and uh, but the challenge was how to do that and uh, by that time already there was a very well developed database from mit now it is actually hosted probably in berkeley the materials project right uh, that's that came out from the MIT, which was developed by uh, entire uh, a big team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was already very powerful. Now, competing with them was not an option for me, given that we are from India. We have the resources, but not the labor work they, they have. Right. So, and that was not our purpose also. So you are going to contribute rather than, uh, rather than compete. Yeah, and that's where we came across it. Maxine, and we thought, okay, this is something which is not there in the Shields Project or any database which was available later. Another one was a flow lib. And we started working on it. We realized that Maxine can have various kind of Maxines which can exist. Right. Uh, actually, of the order of even billions. But we mm-hmm. a smaller subset of it and created this computational database. Because for data science, for doing data science, you need data. Right? Yeah, of course. So that was the first requirement and hence we developed this database and by 2018 june 2018 when we released anand uh, to the community and uh, we were very happy and uh, within a year we were uh, we appeared in our scientific magazine that's one of the global databases which exists so we were very happy and proud honestly to put india india's on the map of the global database and uh, yeah we are the first from india mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so far we are the largest to uh, materials database in the world 
And this year in February, the second mm-hmm. version, version two of uh, Ananth was released with more data. So we have added another class of tunitiol, which is octahedral oxide and mm-hmm. hydroxide. And also we released some topological topological data of Maxine, which okay. was not there. And we are continuously working on releasing the data and also the core cool, uh, the the approach which we employ to you know, use this data and build the model or algorithms, etc. We plan to release those as well. So that will happen soon. Not today, but, but as we speak, the work is going on in that direction. Yeah. Awesome. Did I answer your question? Yeah, I think definitely uh, you did, Dr. Singh. So, you know, I think the, white, the first thing I'm taking away from your answer is the paradigms one and two of science, which you spoke about the yeah. empirical uh, paradigm as well as the second one, early 20th century or so. Each of those spanned, you know, 100 years, 200 years and so on. The third paradigm, computational, we are still living through it. It's been a shorter one and we're already overlapping with the fourth. So the takeaway is things are really accelerating. And that's because of both the computational techniques as well as the availability of data. So maybe just want to double down on how that's affected material science. Maybe you can answer both at a higher level and at a more specific level. So at a high level, what are the kinds of problems that were initially very difficult and are now feasible? And maybe specifically, what are some specific problems that have been solved by convergence of availability of data as well as high-powered computation? So a lot of exciting development has taken place in the last 10 years. now 12 years since the material stenography initiative was launched. Uh, so the, in the beginning, the effort was essentially to predict the properties which were very, very difficult either to measure experimentally or, you know, calculate them using third paradigm tools, even computation with some down. For example, band gap, if you want to know the band gap of a maximum accurate band gap, that would take almost three to four decades you do okay. traditional science. Now, if you use the machine learning, which we used and develop a model, okay. this job can be done in few seconds. Wow. So that is the kind of acceleration which this uh, fourth paradigm is bringing in. Mm-hmm. So now suddenly, if you are an experimentalist or a material scientist, mm-hmm. the options for the materials with access to their properties has suddenly increased for you. You have very many options now. So, if suppose you want to develop a semiconductor, you have a huge number of semiconductors. Not just, I mean, you don't need to go and do trial and error in the and explore the materials or chemical space material. Rather, you go to some of these databases mm-hmm. and you can explore out. And the the search tools which are implemented in these databases, including in NUM, you can really narrow down to what you are looking for. And for those data, those materials, you'll get as many information as possible. And this will make you well informed and you can take a call because before you go and embark on a very expensive experimental research. So this, the biggest thing which this uh, material genome initiative has done is made our experimentalists have been more powerful. And now they, they can cut down their trial and error uh, part of their research now they, they can be very, very specific. They can be more focused and they can identify the materials very quickly 
and then accelerate this material's development to all the way to the desert and deploy it in certain devices which, for which they have looked for. So this is happening very, very fast. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, beads, structural materials like uh, uh, or uh, functional materials, semiconductors, photocatalysts, energy materials, quantum materials, another big thing which is going on happening. And data science is accelerating that area as well. So you name it, and data science is helping in one way or other. So it has become like a, an integral tool, not just for the computational scientists, I would say for the experimentalists, because they also produce a lot of data, and which is very, very useful. And if we use that data, like a, the first part I told you, we can do way more than what we were able to do let's say, 10 years or 20 years back. This is... Something literally. That's why it is a paradigm shift. Yeah, many things have changed, and uh, so so it's a very exciting time essentially, uh, and where we are seeing or we are witnessing the the power of uh, you know, artificial intelligence applied to geoscience science and how it can help to save time, save resources, and you know this exploration of material space has its own carbon footprint. More you explore, more energy, more carbon you release, which is mostly fossil fuel based. So we can go on and cut down, I mean, make things, even the development of materials more sustainable by using this. And uh, going towards the goal, we can watch it. I mean, these tools are making it possible to, you know, add certain constraints, like let's develop a material with a net zero or zero carbon footprint. So those kind of things which can be implemented here uh, and uh, can be achieved also there are several examples now awesome yeah i think that uh, that phrase you mentioned of paradigm shift is sometimes overused but in uh -huh. this case i think from what you said and the way you described it it's very apt it's the right way to think about it because since it's become such an integral part of the way we go about not just the computational screening aspects of it but even the experimentalist work it has changed the way we think about and plan our process Definitely a step change or a paradigm shift, as you said. Um, just wanted to comment again on Anand, which you had mentioned a couple of times. I just wanted to highlight the fact that, you know, we live in an age where large companies build large models and uh, they, they don't share their data or they create their moats around uh, the secret source, where, whereas the academic approach, it stands in pretty stark contrast to that, where these data sets are just available to the community and uh, the Aran database in particular had, has a pretty accessible website. Uh, you can go play around with it. Um, and uh, I think it's very clear what the motivation was to build this database and it will, not only will it benefit your group, but also scientists and research groups across India and the world. Well, speaking of India and the world, uh, and you had already commented on this very briefly earlier in our conversation, where does India stand with respect to the world? Because you had mentioned uh, you didn't want to compete, you wanted to contribute to that global effort. So could you kind of paint a picture of how Indian researchers, as well as startups, if any, are competing in this very rapidly advancing field, uh, both in material science, but maybe even broadly on the whole computational field? Yes. Uh, like I told you, till 2015, 16, there was not much there. But people have started working. And in the last couple of years, 
more and more groups very very good groups actually are doing a lot of interesting work which which is of the international standard and you know they also is i mean there is there's a lot of fundamental contribution in series has started to come from india late but it has started and uh, and uh, so for example i mean our group we have ananth and then we work on uh, two three aspects of the data science so one is of course uh, creating data then development of the model then we also develop the algorithm and we like to and then we create the post processing or automations too like we want to make these things autonomous or, or automatic so no human interface including the creation of the data because we are prone to commit mistake if you ask me to enter 10 data points that can guarantee you two of them will be wrong minimum if not less so these task uh, we are just automating it so everything goes uh, you know you just with a pick up button you can start generating the data fetching it and putting it to a database and even again pulling it out for model building and then making predictions etc so the entire you know this framework which is being developed both globally as well as so we are doing quite okay now we there's a lot of uh, interest in india and people are using this as as we speak i mean this, this has picked up now and, uh, and there's a lot of interesting and exciting work going on in this area now from india also that's awesome uh, so i think you spoke uh, quite a lot about the academic uh, viewpoint here um you know obviously not just research groups but industries as well have access to such databases and the techniques developed by academia and techniques that they've developed uh, internally in the private industry uh, could you talk us about how these benefits of these techniques would also translate into industry because in the end they are the ones you know either manufacturing these new materials at scale or deploying them whether it's in manufacturing uh, sensing construction and so on so what kinds of fields within industry would be impacted the most by this kind of computational revolution so uh, the biggest impact will come in the materials development industry so as i told you if you let's say now that we are moving in the direction like we need this property x in our material uh, we need a property x tell me which material can give me that property so this search this is what we've been searching all all through the centuries right now this is we can do it through machine learning so essentially there is an inverse design problem so we start with the target property and predict the material which can have that problem now we can make it more constrained whatever prediction you get for a material may not even exist on computer probably possible you start redefining the domain in which you will search this x property so you can make it more and more sophisticated more focused search and this all will be done on computer without you know you may need to do some experiments of course to validate this few mm-hmm. but those the number of those experiments could be as low as 50 or 50 controlled experiments are good enough and after that you know the iteration process to develop a new new material and this has started actually in the for example there are groups i think it's somewhere in uk uh, they are developing the electrolytes automatically or using machine learning so it's uh, like inverse design so they they have they start with the 
particular property of electrolyte in mind, mm -hmm. and then they work out the composition, the mixing, etc., using machine learning and robot. So, it's so the original goal is you know, to accelerate this process, not just accelerate it. Uh, we make it even more focused for for uh, I mean to search a particular type of material for a particular application. This is where it is being used very very extensively. Other area where industry is using AML or getting benefited from this entire thing is you know processes also because all these material goes through certain protocols certain processes so we can even optimize those based on the data so we can improve the processes essentially and so these are the two major benefit which industry can is actually already you know, get there is in fact getting benefited from this not just that it exists but they're utilizing it so now currently i believe most of the major companies which you can think of who are uh, literally involved in materials development they do have uh, their ai program AI program for, which is linked to them materials development so yeah got it um i think you know again sometimes we often we use this phrase uh machine learning will turn the industry upside down where here what you mentioned about the problem being inverted sounds very similar to that. You're turning it on its head. And instead of saying, I just created this material by accident, it happens to have this property. You can turn that around and say, I want this material to have this property and I will use these techniques to, to find the candidate. And that really does change the game for across the board. And I think, you know, we had spoken uh, earlier before our conversation too about how everything around us is a material that's gone through some research some development and some processing yeah. so truly there's there's nothing that's left untouched by this <laughs> computational approach um, the, the other thing you had mentioned earlier in in this podcast is that we can reduce the carbon footprint of yeah. the, the research process or the development process <laughs> and uh, i just wanted to use that as a way to to get to the climate change theme where the technological fix to many of our climate change issues, whether it's in mitigation or adaptation, involves new materials, whether it's solar cells, whether it's batteries, whether it's construction materials or bioplastics, just to name a few, there's obviously so many more. Um, could you comment on how the, uh, the generation of these new materials, for example, let's say for new types of battery chemistries or hydrogen electrolyzers is being affected by computational design and is it just a matter of accelerating timelines or are we even unlocking materials that wouldn't have been found otherwise? I think it, both are happening. So, yeah, one is, of course, uh, doing it really fast. And it's, fast is not like we are doing a lot of things in a shorter time. No, we are doing very few things. That's, and, but using the you know artificial intelligence-based method, so within the smaller such space, we could do the you know the job for which if we were just using traditional methods, uh, we were exploring things for years together, even decades, to reach to a, to a particular material where we are interested in. So now that such a space has been made very very small, really small I means a fraction of what you have to do, and that immediately cuts down your carbon footprint because exploring this. Okay, one is, if you take from the industry point of view, yes, you have to spend a lot of money to go through this process of exploration. 
you cut that money part, but more importantly for us, or for everyone, is this, it makes things very, very sustainable. So something which was taking, you know, millions or billions of uh, experiments in certain cases, now you do it with just few 10, say, more 50 or 100 experiments, control experiments, and you're done. So the acceleration is driven by the intelligence. So, you know, in the end, what machine learning does, what my take is, I mean, probably it's a known fact, but oh, I think it helps me to make intelligent decisions. It's a tool which helps me to make good decisions, right? And so that's when it is being used. Rather than, you know, blindly searching the entire search space, it just narrows it down. Okay, look for all these compounds and these compositions, you can get what you're looking for. This is what it is doing. So it is helping us, of course, through the data to make right decision very, very fast and cutting down the, you know, carbon footprint and making the world, it, it has its own contribution, making the world more sustainable. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe I'll just double down on the second half of that question. Uh, could you give yes. some examples of, uh, new materials discovered using this paradigm that are playing a role in like, let's say this climate change mitigation effort? Uh, it could be in batteries or solar no. panels. Yeah. Correct. No, so candidate materials are already predicted, right? Or even synthesized. Even including, you know, for example, one of the applications, one of the very important paper which comes to my mind was in 2017 in nature, where they develop the metallic glasses. So one another class of material to create something which would have taken thirteen hundred years, thirteen centuries. You can do it just in a few months. Wow. And again narrowing down the search space and the phase diagram and pinpointing a particular composition which can give them a particular type of metallic glass which will have a, a certain application. Now for source, all the same materials also you know, including the mixing database. So you, we have created a suite of a suite of programs, which starts with like first uh, identifying whether a particular mixing is a metal or semiconductor. So suppose that such a mixing can be both. Then once you know that it's a semiconductor, this is the classification model. It gives, within one second it tells you that it is a semiconductor metal. And once you have seen, now what is the band gap or the accurate band gap so that you can decide which application it will be suitable for, whether it will be a electronic materials, optoelectronic materials, a catalyst, photocatalyst, everything. Uh, first uh, step of decision making, it makes it easier for you. Then these materials, you know, when you're just a single piece of a machine is not going to work, right? It has to form interfaces with various other materials. And when it forms the interfaces, then the electronic structure of these materials have to have a, a certain relationship with the materials with which it is forming the interface. That relation also you can explore it out using again our our model, which is basically aligning the the bands which are the most important one, the top and mm -hmm. top of the valence uh, band and bottom of the conduction band. Okay. Now you have the entire gamut clear to you. So you start with the material pick up a semiconductor, pick up the right kind of band gap, and then how the bands are aligned with respect to other materials, so you know how, when you make the contacts, how it can behave. So this can 
accelerated journey for search of solar cell or photocatalyst. So there are not just one example which I can give you. There are many, many more. I mean, as we are speaking, people are publishing tons of papers predicting geo, synthesizing geos, using the machine learning. Now, which one will come out and get scaled to industry level? That is the part, you know, that becomes kind of a combined science and engineering problem. Yeah. And she has to pick up because science or scientists, they think, I mean, they would show only up to certain parts, right? We're out from here. Someone has to pick it up. The industry has to pick it up and then take it to the next level. So those things will come. I believe it's it, maybe it's happening, but just we are not aware because it's happening maybe in and industry. What happens is not known to everyone, right? Uh, but we will see those products, which were here, our of the materials which were developed following this very soon. We will see, and maybe I'm not aware, probably, but there are already a few materials. Awesome, yes. Great. Uh, thanks, Prof. Uh, you know, what you mentioned about science and industry and that partnership happening is obviously something that at Ankur Capital, we are also very passionate about. And that's why we even started this platform, TechSprouts, as a way to engage this ecosystem to kind of foster more collaborations and to even um, encourage startups to sometimes fill that gap when it's a bit too wide. So just to talk about startups, we, we spoke about industries and there are startups in the field who globally work in the materials discovery space from a computational lens. Um, I know that your work as a co-founder of Silent AI is pioneering similar work in India. So the, the, the work that you do is on developing hybrid scientific models, AI models, to broadly accelerate scientific breakthroughs and the timelines and cycles associated with that. So maybe briefly, could you talk a bit about what First, what does it mean to say hybrid scientific AI model? And uh, what is the kind of work that you do with those models? Mm -hmm. Hybrid model means uh, these models are physics learned. So, yeah, fingerprinting a material is not an easy job. And because they can have a huge number of uh, properties or data or metadata associated with them, we, we need to come up with uh, the featureization, in other words, we also want to do featureization. So this featureization has to be done uh, in a very, uh, in a way which is driven by the science, right? So you can use your knowledge. It should not like become a blind approach, right? Just push a few button. Rather than, we can, I mean, the human intelligence should also be used. So the human intelligence aspect we are taking from the science scientific knowledge which already exists or if it doesn't exist we create it utilizing those models we build we featureize and we select the features which are so powerful that it very quickly picks up the pattern suppose we you and i will both go to build a model for a particular material for a particular property or let's say even for a development of a particular class of material if i'm not a material scientist i don't have a domain knowledge i'll go ahead and you know collect tens of thousands of parameters and try to fit a model. Compared to that, versus if now you have a domain, right, then you know exactly what are the parameters which you should look for from our past experience and our you know, journey we have gone through. And then we pick those. So we narrow down again the search of these features. 
using our domain knowledge. And then within that feature space, we use our powerful computer uh, computer science tools and algorithms, which can further narrow it down. And we end up with getting some some features which are very very intuitive, very easy to obtain, and we just deploy those and start using those models for the materials which we want to develop. So that is our philosophy inside mm -hmm. NTAI. So we want to build models which are based on the features which one can control or which you can use it. We'll not tell you something, okay, you should grow or you should synthesize this material in the month of July because when the temperature and humidity will be that, no, that, that will not make sense. But it, you can use those information also as a feature when you're developing more, right? If you're not from a core domain, then we may use everything, right? So that is where we come in and we we make it even more faster, this machine learning faster, by aiding it with the sign. And also at Silentia, it's not an AI company per se. Mm -hmm. AI is just one of the two. We are deeply rooted into the third paradigm, which is basically the computational paradigm. We are using computational sciences or computational material science very extensively, then clubbing it with the AI to finally bringing out the benefits to the industry in terms of uh, helping them out in developing new materials, cutting their carbon footprint, maintaining their equipments, predicting their failures without any sensors, etc. So the rest is, of course, under application. Awesome. And um, one thing I wanted to add, I'm sorry to say that, Actually, based on the, our conversation, uh, and I felt your approach at Uncode is really very holistic, and the type of uh, startups which you are funding, especially for our country, mm -hmm. like in in agri agri sector, is really I mean, it's, it's very very good actually. I mean, this is what we need. I mean, you are funding uh, the kind of a startup which basically lies in the core of India, and uh, and those are, and even there, what you explain means how the problems are, which are, or so to start, which was funding. Even, and they are doing core science, actually. So it's just not just, you know, from the startup for uh, you know, taxi aggregation line or tractor aggregation, another example could be, with all due respect, but it's more than that. It's a size to when you start, which you are, uh, Supporting and then they have direct impact on our agriculture, our Indian agriculture. That's that's really imp uh, I'm very very impressed with that. Thank you so much for doing that. Actually, Th thanks a lot for your answer and uh, for that compliment, uh, Professor Singh. Um, I think that's something that we aspire to do, both from you know the the deep science investment lens as, as well as the non deep science investment lens, whether it's in agri, health, fintech, and so on. Um, just wanted to kind of summarize with what you said uh, as an answer to that last question with this fact, which is the GPT-3 is obviously a, a AI model that a lot of us know about and probably have used, whether it's uh, on the chat GPT platform on the OpenAI website or in other ways. It, just to give a bit of context, it has 175 billion parameters. Whereas uh, more specifically created models, for example, if you take alpha fold, which is used to detect the secondary and tertiary structures of proteins, it only has 21 million parameters, which is about, you know, 10,000 fold less. And I think that really uh, 
emphasizes the point you mentioned of combining domain knowledge as well as bolstering that with AI rather than, you know, just making general purpose large models that can attack every single problem. It's far more effective and if I can use the phrase more bang for your buck, if you combine the domain knowledge and the AI expertise in the way that you're doing to solve problems in specific fields. And as you said, the, the types of problems you're solving, even though it's all in material science, it can be all over the, uh, on, all across the board, new materials, cutting down carbon footprint, predicting downtime, predictive maintenance and all of that. It's super impressive. And uh, thanks a lot for sharing about it. And uh, thanks a lot for broadly sharing everything you do in your work uh, from an academic perspective, of course, and the way you are approaching building a startup in the space. I think that's something that we are really heartened by and we hope to have a longer partnership with you as well on that front because we believe that there's a lot of impressive and state-of-the-art work that happens in Indian laboratories across the entire country. Not enough of it is being translated to uh, to the startup world or even to industry via translational research or, or university entrepreneurship. So we're very happy to to have you on the podcast and to have shared your experience. So thanks a lot, Dr. Singh. Thanks a lot for being Thank on this so podcast. Much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot, Richard.